0: The ability of people to actually, under any given set of circumstances, feed love and joy. We rightly think of war and sea just absolutely tragic, but humans are not set up for ceaseless tragedy. There's always some, certainly (laughs) Bosnians. There's always some striving towards some moment of pleasure or joy or, or, or love or all at the same time. People got married in the war, right? They drank wine. They had parties. They went to galleries. They watched movies.
1: Welcome to Alpha with me, Stan Kugel. Today on Alpha, Alexander Heyman. His new novel, The World and All that It Holds, is as hard to contain as the title might suggest. It is a work of devastating emotional power evoking the pain of dislocation, love that sustains body and soul, and a yearning for home so profound that one imagines it could only come from depths inside the author that Haman somehow magically evokes. Alexander Hemon came to America in 1992, an unintended refugee himself. He is a MacArthur Genius Grant recipient, Princeton professor, screenwriter, and author of four novels. Alexander Hamon, welcome to Alpha. Thank you. Nice to be here virtually. Before coming to your latest novel, I'd like to start at the beginning. You were born and raised in Yugoslavia. What was the religious, cultural, and intellectual environment in which you were raised?
0: I was born and raised in Sarajevo, in Bosnia-Herzegovina, and and Sarajevo is known for, and that is my experience of, of, of having, I don't know, the four major religions, presence within a block of, a, of any given street, people intermarrying and living together historically. And as is in the case in the novel, there were times when the city was easily multilingual. So to me, what is known as diversity in this country was a lived experience. There was a notion in Yugoslavia and particularly in Bosnia of, of mixed marriage, that is people from um, different ethnicities being married. And in many ways, such a term is abhorrent. But about forty percent of people in Sarajevo, they said it's a factoid, and we believe it. Forty percent of marriages, rather, were so-called mixed marriages. Right? It's a whatever the case may be. With the exact number, it was a much higher percentage than anywhere else in former Yugoslavia. So we went to Christmas for Christmas to other people's houses for Ramadan. For Orthodox Christmas. All the while, my parents, my mother in particular, we as a family were atheists. But it was this practice of engaging with people, with neighbors, and enjoying their differences. And so this
1: is where I've come from. Before leaving Yugoslavia, what kind of understanding did you have of the kind of dislocation experienced by your characters and eventually by yourself?
0: Well, I mean, you know there was a time before and after for me before the war and after weren't for many many bosnians right and so this location was not um and there's no such thing as simple emigration immig- or immigration so always complex and always traumatic up to a point but as you had suggested i did not intend to stay in the united states i came for a long trip and then the war in bosnia started in the and i stayed so that in itself was kind of Shocking. It had quite a lot of adjustment. But before that, because Bosnia is in that unfortunate space where various empires historically overlapped and various you know, imperial projects, there was a lot of migration. My family and my father's side migrated from what is today Ukraine in the early 20th century, because both Bosnia and what is now Western Ukraine, but back then were the provinces of Galicia and Bukovina in the Austro-Hungarian Empire my grandparents' families, they moved within the borders of the empire, so they, because Bosnia had recently been occupied and annexed to the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and they were trying to colonize the new land, and so there's a history of migration in my family that precedes the war and our dislocation, and the fact of the matter now is that no one really dies in the country where they were born anymore in my family. Or, I mean, it's been the case for generations, even if they stay in the same house. This is a a common destiny in many places in the world, but particularly in Eastern Europe.
1: What did your parents transmit to you about the experience of being, in some ways, from somewhere else?
0: Well, I mean, my father's family spoke Ukrainian, and then I would find out later that it was a kind of a, a macaronic version of the Ukrainian, macaronic language, and, and we can t- it pertains to my novel too, is a kind of uh, a language, a way of a discourse where several languages are mixed in the same um discursive act, a sentence or a paragraph, if one writes. But it usually happens in an intimate situation where people are ready and willing to understand each other despite linguistic complications. So I would find out later that. The Ukrainian that my grandmother spoke was a mixture of Ukrainian and Polish, a Ukrainian dialect, Western Ukrainian dialect, Polish, because her father was Polish speaking. And then when they came to Bosnia, they absorbed Bosnian words and so on and so on. And so to me, if I have any you know, linguistic talent, at least part of it comes from the fact that in my family, we have always been multilingual. My dad was, and all of his siblings, and all of my siblings on my dad's side, are effectively multilingual, have been multilingual historically. And this is all, again, before the displacement. Now that part of the family is entirely in Canada, hundreds of family members in Ontario. And on, on my mother's side, people were always Bosnian, and now that we are displaced and scattered around the world, everyone speaks more than one language. So this kind of the lived diversity, or complexity rather, diversity is kind of a political term. Complexity is, what was available to me without and to my sister without any kind of lecturing about it, right? We didn't have to understand the value of it. It's just the way it was in Sarajevo with that background. It was never simple, right? It was never one thing. It was never a single identity. It was always hybrid. In some ways.
1: What were your childhood ambitions? Did you see yourself living in Yugoslavia? Or was the outside world always in your sights?
0: Well, I never wanted to leave Sarajevo and sort of had had formulated this to myself in various situations. Um, I I had a girlfriend who was in the late er, 1990 and 91, was going to Paris. And we had this discussion and she said that she did not belong there anymore. And I, you know, probably quoting some movie that I forgot, uh, said, you know, it's not where you belong. It's what belongs to you. And I wanted and did think that Sarajevo belonged to me in the sense that it was, my space where i could be what i want to be and what where i can acquire knowledge that matters to me where i love the language and the people and the music and everything and so i never intended to go anywhere and it it, i mean it could be that it was luck that i found myself in the united states when the war and the siege
1: of syria was started turning to the world and all that it holds your latest novel you seem meticulous not casual in your choice of words, one could imagine that the uh, world contains people in their stories that they're in the world. Why did you choose the word holds? Um, I think it's a quote from the Talmud or the translation of the Talmud
0: I had, and I also hold is physical. And I picked that over other possibilities, because holding is physical, right? It is something that you keep in your hands or to your chest contain is, you know, it limits, but also it it is not necessarily I mean it's physical technically, but it's not corporal. Let's put it that way. Holding is corporal. And so I want I I look for a title for a long time. There was a provisional title for a long time. I thought I'll find a different title. It's long and ambitious and you know pompous to some extent. But I in the end I just couldn't find anything because there's so much of it in the book. Everything was kind of pointing and not in the wrong direction but it's a reductive direction right I tried I one of the possibilities was to name them after the character Rafa and Pinto right and another one because this their relationship is contained in the Bosnian song about the wormwood and Rose where Rose wraps a uh, worm wraps around the Rose and so in Bosnian um, such that title would sound great but wormwood <laughs> it's not a good word to have in a title of a book. It's not, doesn't sound romantic, right? By Beyturan in Bosnian, which is an archaic Bosnian word it would sound better. Anyway, I, I landed or conceded rather um, that this is the title that the book needs to have. It is what it is. They cross the world. They are the world to each other, particularly Osman to Pinto. And holding is important as the physical proximity and the longing for physical aspect of of love
1: hmm. what do you want readers to get or feel or understand from reading the world and all that it holds yeah well that's a difficult
0: question everything <laughs> but that's not going to happen <laughs> I think of reading and writing and the way the literature operates as kind of ideally a continuous engagement that is I don't think or well, I don't like the books that are could be consumed in one city Actually, I do like them in certain situations. You read a mystery novel on the beach. It's great. And then you never read again because you know who the killer is, right? You just scoop it up and that's it. You don't return to it, which is you you get rid of the paperback as soon as you can or read it on the Kindle. But the kind of books I like, and this I know that it affects sales, are the books that kind of want people or make people want to return to them. Nabokov said rereading is all that counts. And I like that what literature can do, what other arts can do, is engage with the world in a particular way by way of language and by way of of constructing a world in the book in in one's head. And that's not always an easy job or it's not always possible on the first try. And so the way we engage with the world continuously, the way we engage with language continuously, I wanted to frame the things that the world in the book in such a way that people can return to it to understand it better or to see it differently or to remember things. Another way to put it is I want a book to be an experience, a recurring experience, as it were, whether people are reading the book again or rereading it or they keep thinking about it. I mean, I'm a vain person. I like it when readers like my books. And the best compliment that they
1: can give me is if I keep thinking about it. Your main character is Jewish by background. Hope and perseverance in the face of overwhelming grief and sorrow is a Jewish story told again and again through the generations, but mainly within the community. You have an intensely keen eye for something within that psyche, and it's difficult to imagine a writer so eloquently expressing it without personal knowledge. Do you want to talk about that? Yes, of course. Um... Well, I mean, that is an excellent
0: question, an excellent problem to discuss in relation to literature and representation of human experience. So if we assume that I can only talk about people like myself, right, in my case, eventually, it will it'll be just my family. And even within my family, I'm not like many others, right? And so if one goes in that direction, there's a the, the end point is catastrophic reductiveness of human experience i can only talk about myself and that's it and of course that's not how art and literature and humanity work at the same time for me to assume as i know you know heterosexual cis white man that i can talk and represent anyone i want uh, of, of christian atheist background i can represent and imagine anyone i want with you know bespeaks a certain belief in position of power or in position of power and that is that is the other extreme and so the, i had i i think about it all the time who can i speak for and this is started in relation to the bosnian war right i'm bosnian my family was affected my hometown was affected can i speak of that experience in what way right and i i couldn't i could only speak of the experiences of others and people who told me what happened, they fed me the stories and kind of, um, you know, gave me permission to represent some of those things. But I felt a need to acknowledge that it was not my experience, that those were conveyed experiences and which is what the stories are for generally in the world, right? I don't, I cannot live your life. So you tell me a story about your life and I try to imagine it and vice versa. And that is, that is ideally a bonding Experience, right? A, a, a way toward a shared humanity. So to answer your question, um Pinto is Jewish, but is also Sarajevan, right? He is uh inclined toward poetry, he's multilingual, he longs for home, right? And then there's a list of differences. I am not Jewish, I'm not gay. I was not born in uh, the late in the late 19th century. To me, really the diff- the biggest difference or the biggest difficulty imagining is the life of someone from the 19th century and how they in any uh, whatever they hybrid identity or hybrid identity might be. So just for us to believe that any of us can know how people lived in 1914, say, right? That is already a stretch. And then all these other things. But if I if I start believing that I can't imagine any of that that I can then I can only talk about myself and apart from the ethical aspects of that it's just boring I not that interesting to myself right I was when I was in my 20s was 16 you know and I'm a teenager my daughter who you know who's a teenager now she just stops in front of the mirror and just looks at herself look at me and she's beautiful and I totally understand and I did the same thing except I didn't do it so openly because I was you know pretending not to care but to look at look at, and I when I look at myself I can't just it's not that I dislike myself. it's that I it's not interesting. I want to look at other people. I want to imagine their lives. And you are right to point at the fact that it's kind of a a template for diasporic existence and for uh, displacement and and uh, being subject to a series of historical catastrophes is among the Jewish people. And it's, there's not only one, obviously the Holocaust there's the biggie, but it is this history of migration and adjustment and and isolation and discrimination and all that, that is contained within the narrative, or narratives rather, histories of the Jewish people. And to me, the bond with Pinto is not that he's Jewish, but that he's Sarajevo. And it, it comes down to the way we conceive of an identity, and whether they're mutually exclusive, is their essential identity to being Jewish or being Ukrainian or being Serbian or being American? Or is it a matter of a lived experience? Or is it both? I'd like to think it is both. So we inherit the histories of our people, I just told you the history of my family. But we also become ourselves in connection relation um, with other people, people who live around us not I mean, now it's, you know, all this digital stuff, but even even now, we are defined daily by people who we encounter physically in our life. And so to be a Sarajevan, for me, as for Pinto meant that we would all there would be overlapping of cultures' and identities, and that overlapping would happen in the streets or
1: in the market or in the stores, or for me in you know, rock concerts. You write eloquently about. These experiences of others. And yet, there's one area where you seem self conscious about writing of others' experience, and that is what happened in Sarajevo. Why the difference?
0: Well, I mean, because I have to afford, if other people can speak of that experience, then other people should speak before me. But also, I, this is what I think that literature is or a book is it creates a space into which people can step and the space is I guess governed by me but it does not belong solely to me I believe in the value and power of storytelling not in terms of you know every commercial is a story or there are these you know eternal archetypal stories that you know cover both Ulysses and Marvel uh, the Marvel Universe, but rather storytelling as a as a way of engaging with the world and with, with other people, right? Without stories, there's no connection among us, right? If when we see each other in person, I'll ask you, how are things when you went there, right? And how, When we meet this summer, again, I'll ask you, how was the trip? And then you will tell me what the trip was like. And if nothing happened, there's no story. But if something happened, well, you know, I'll learn something about you and about your trip. And this is how we communicate. And so to the a, a narrative, a book provides space for those stories to enter, right? And those stories represent people as they were, or at least imaginatively. So for Sajevo, because I guess partly I felt guilty for not being there and felt guilty preemptively, as it were, before a claim that I exploited that suffering for personal gain, right? which is an ethical issue that I guess many writers, Confront or should confront in any number of situations. So I did not want to use that as simply matter of my literature. I wanted to define a space, the limit of space in which some of those stories, some of those experiences that are not directly mine, do exist, do
1: are conveyable, are uh, intelligible. I want to push on that a little bit more. Other writers have taken on telling the story of Sarajevo in their own fictionalized forms, and they don't seem to experience the, let's say, sense of potential impropriety of being that storyteller, even though they weren't there. There's something that seems to bother you about speaking, even in a fictional form, for that story. Well, I mean, because...
0: On a very basic level, I know people who had that experience, right? I'm, I'm going to have to confront them face to face, right? And I assume they'll ask me, "Why did you do that?" or, or, implicitly or explicitly. I mean, so this is not—I mean, it's a theoretical question, obviously, in some ways, but also I was going to go back to Sarajevo after the war, and I was going to meet people who lived through all that. And I, well, the first time, I went to Sarajevo after the war. I brought the stories that I had translated from English that I had written. Some of which dealt with the war to show it to them so they could tell not to approve it or vet it, but to to sort of own up to the fact that I'm engaging with this imaginatively by way of their experience and stories. And so it was it's really just and this this is enough, as it were, it's, it's a matter of personal loyalty and friendship right? respecting other people's experience, which is what we do in relationships. Right. You don't go to your partner and say, you know, you did not feel that I know what you felt. But like, they would punish you as they should and not you one right and mm-hmm. so it was at, at, at that level it is also because if you watch war from afar representation of that war becomes very important politically and morally and ethically right so people lie about wars as we can see uh, what's going on in Ukraine what the way it's represented and not only the Russians lying about what's happening but you know in the at the time of the war in um, Bosnia, it was very important not to use the word genocide by American politicians. Right? The books have been written about it because otherwise they would have to abide by the never again, you know, um, claim. But if it was not genocide, then it's okay to do it again. And so they were avoiding that. And so in that sense, representation of war—it has a, or a war experience has a—it's a very ethically complex and one I thought. Had to um, define one's position in relation to it and then own up to it and be able to formulate it
1: to people who were affected by the war primarily and then everyone else. Did you receive negative or hostile feedback from friends or others about your way of uh, representing the Sarajevo experience? Well, I'm happy to say no, not in any substantial
0: way, certainly not from friends and people I respect and love. Because I talk to them, I, you know, I, I write fiction and nonfiction, and the distinction is kind of moot in Bosnian and other languages. But the important thing is that with fiction, with nonfiction, and I've written a lot of it, you have to fact check, right? And if it's kind of personal, creative nonfiction, then you fact check with people who you you're writing about, right? With fiction, you fact check. You can fact check with books, or you can change the facts to fit your, you know, fictional vision. Well, with nonfiction, if I'm writing about my family, I had to ask them: Was it was this your experience too? My, my sister, who I love very much, she's a psychotherapist, and she has said, and she's right, that my family was different from her family, or my experience with parents was different from her experience with parents, and not only because she's a she's she's a woman or younger, but for any number of reasons right and so if i was writing about her i had to ask her what do you think of this right and i mean she could say well that's your experience she did say that's your experience so i respect that but i absolutely had to ask her and claiming that this was the case for both of us right would have been wrong and so i i did ask her there was not pushback There was just talking to people because it's it's kind of fact checking misrepresented and you check against the experience of people, not the facts, their feelings, their, their um, residual uh, thoughts and uh, ideas and and
1: their history, emotional and personal. Were there any surprises in that process? Discoveries you made about how others perceived events uh, that you had not anticipated?
0: I guess early on, It wasn't surprising, but it was valuable. I mean, it was surprising in some ways, but it wasn't. That the ability of people to actually, under any given set of circumstances, feel love and joy. We rightly think of war and see just absolutely tragic, but humans are not set up for, you know, relentless, continuous, ceaseless tragedy. There's always some, certainly (laughs) Bosnians, there's always some striving towards some moment of pleasure or joy or 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 love or all at the same time people got married in the war right they drank wine they had parties they went to galleries they watched movies I I back in the day of the war occasionally there would be some phone connections randomly and I can't remember how but I, I called a friend of mine or we were talking on the phone and I I said, what are you doing? She says, I'm going to the movies. And this was the the peak of the siege. And I said, what are you going to see? (laughs) And she said, Terminator 2, Terminator 2. I mean, and she was risking her life on the snipers to see Terminator 2. Whereas in the United States, I thought "Ah, Terminator 2, I'm going to I'm going to see see it for popcorn. Right. But Terminator 2. But things have have a different value. And so people were And this was, I mean, I was getting those reports in the time of war, I was sending mixtapes to my friend friend in Sarajevo, to listen to music because give me music, I'm going to go crazy. I mean, it wasn't just for me, obviously. But even after the war, right, when people would tell me stories about the experience, very often, they would tell them as funny stories. It was baffling to me at the time. And it took me a while to understand that it is a kind of re- reconfiguring the narrative so that if we can tell it as a funny story we have survived and we kind of moved away at least some extent from the trauma of that moment that's what humor can do right it reevaluates your experience and makes it into something else something you can tell a story about they also did say and tell tragic stories but they could totally convert the horror of the experience of the siege into funny stories and i i love that i love that about humans but also i love that particularly about Sarajeva
1: and bosnia this location is a recurring theme in your writing for those of us who've not experienced it what do you want us to know
0: well that's a that's a question that requires a long answer and i'm already prone to long answers people change in that process and they are not, it's not an either or proposition. That is the kind of a notion of migration, particularly in the United States, is where you were kind of, had human potential over there, but only here the f- full potential could be fulfilled, right? Or in sort of a more, on the more fascist end of the range, right? The way that immigrants or migrants are represented as a faceless, personhood-free, you know, mass of, organisms who are just rushing across borders or across sea to get here and sort of eat it all up and zombies are you know a comparable trope and so whereas what i know because of history and displacement in my life and my family is that everyone is a universe unto themselves the world and all that it holds is in every single person they have life they have love they have stories they have moments of joy they have hope it is probably biologically determined, as evolutionally defined, that humans strive, move toward the space, symbolically and also physically, toward a space in which they would have greater agency. So if war and poverty and drought reduces one's agency, survival agency, then people want to move toward the space where that they would have some agency, whether there's food or work to buy food or school for the kids and so on and so on. And so that process of transition, getting from point A to point B is is also, I think, it is foundational for humanity. This is how we became human, right? People migrated from Africa, and spread around the world. We all come from seven African mothers genetically. And so, which was not possible without migration and interaction with the environment and other people and other creatures. And so that migration is transformative. It's not a state that needs to be stopped or eliminated, right? It is how we are. And this is before globalization, it was always like that. I mean, the, the migration that was caused by World War One. It's enormous world war ii It's enormous masses of people moved around the world with the, without passports across borders or across lands that had no no borders and that is transformative in, in for humanity in the history of humanity and it also i think is closely connected with our need and ability to tell stories because the if you wish i, I we can talk about my novel in that respect my novel is a kind of a refugee epic and the epic narrative structure is the most basic and the oldest narrative structure in the world, I think. Right. So from Gilgamesh, they go from from here to there. And then there's a story about it. The the Odyssey, right? As he go leaves uh, Ithaca and has come back. It's not the only structure, mind you, but there's this sort of recurring basic epic structure that is contingent upon the people, the characters in, in the story moving through space whether they're heroes or migrants, or they're just trying to get home, but they move into space and the interaction with the stimuli of the world generates um, narratives. My, my own little formula for my personal use is narration is migration squared. So if we get from point A to point B, at point B, it's likely that there'll be a story about getting from point A point B, and not just for fun and books, but also to convey the experience. Sometimes to tell the people at point A how they should get to point B. You go this way, you cross the border legally here. You talk to that guy and get over there and they'll help you. That's, you know, that's a story.
1: You live in America now. Do you feel at home here?
0: Well, it's a complex question. I do feel at home when I'm home. That is with my family, with with my people. I don't own property here and there's kind of a I came here relatively late I was in my I was a fully formed human I hope in that I was 26 had beliefs and principles and writing and all that and so my experience is obviously are shaped by America but I was already shaped in some way so there's sort of additional layer right which is I cannot deny do not want to deny and so America is a sort of Mythological project. I have a hard time connecting with that, right? But America, as Americans, whom <laughs> are my friends, so I may, might be married to, that's my home. So I cannot. I detest many things in America, as many, you know, American-born Americans do. And there's also this other place that I'm very fond of and love very much. That I cannot, and I cannot return there just like that, because well, this is where I am now, and there's homeless here, too. So I, I, let me put it this way, I, I love uh, things in America that I can touch. I don't like the great narrative of America and the mythology and all that, as I don't like those narratives in any given country.
1: Once someone has moved here or to some other new home after a major dislocation, can they ever go home? Well, I don't know. I think for,
0: to start with, I think it would be individual. But I think you are absolutely right that the absoluteness of a single home is gone, right? If you are moving from one place to another, then you probably might ha- end up having more than one home. Right? And this is a good scenario, right? I mean, after all, people move out of their parents' place and go live somewhere else. And then, you know, for Thanksgiving, they go home, right? And then after Thanksgiving is over, they also go home it's possible to have more than one home. And I don't mean just property, obviously, but a sense of belonging. And this, we leave trace in the world where there are people who love us and people who shaped us into who we are, that qualifies for home, right? There are other uh, conditions to be met perhaps, but that is home. And so I think what is important for me, or at least in my work is, what exactly defines home? Is it a place? Yes, it is, right? In, in Bosnian, the idiomatic word for home is, um, would translate as house, kucha. There's dom, which is home in sort of more metaphysical uh, sense, right, of, of belonging to the world, but it's also connected to the word for a uh, homeland, domovina, right? Whereas kucha is this thing that you go to, to see your parents, right? Kucha is where you feel at home right it's not it's not a a social project or a national project or you know metaphysical project it is the thing that is home and that to me means that it has to be a place right you at the same time it is also a feeling and it's also a set of ideas and it's also a particular set of protocols if you wish in that you follow to connect with people in that particular social or sociological space right not only different language but different i don't know customs not complaining about people smoking in bosnia because everyone smokes everywhere right you know i just that's not gonna work right and so or any number of other things so you can say that you can never find home if you think that home is a singular thing that could only be one and forever but if it is also true that once you lose that sense of a singular home that there's a kind of internal displacement happens that you are both at home in many places and also not at home in those same places, because we expect a sort of embeddedness in, in home space.
1: In some ways, it sounds like migration is inbuilt in us and is also something we can never fully accommodate to
0: yeah I mean it's being unstable I mean you know the other kind of historical narrative it's got aesthetic narratives where I don't know from you know um the Iliad where they're stuck in the battle for years and the same things happen over and over again and to yeah I don't know you know um how would I put it contemporary American suburban fiction where it's all everyone's stuck in the suburban marriage forever and then sort of they're hashing it up right and I don't think that either of those in inherently superior or inferior but there's also uh, a history of static narratives, right? In for people who were in one place or want to be in one place, imagine being in one place for a long time. For some reason, that's not available to me. And so though both of those could be true at the same time. That is, we can both have a sense of, well, I'm home now, but also I long for this other place at the same time. And that does not diminish one or the other feeling. This is inherent in humans. I think one could think of, tourism or travel kind of pleasant as a as controlled migration migration for pleasure right The sort of testing our ability to move from one place to another not traumatically right but at the same time we know that we can easily recognize what traumatic displacement would be what traumatic migration is
1: your main character pinto loves osman in a deep and abiding way in life and in death it's pretty much the only thing he takes with him on his journey. Yes. I mean, that, that was that
0: was the idea. It was. The idea is that he goes to the world that is coming apart repeatedly. Uh, the very pers- first chapter, the you know, the um, assassination chapter, he's in something that resembles a functioning state, or at least some kind of s- stable social infrastructure. Uh, and after that, at no point does he move through what we would now call nation state or even functioning society. So it's, and which of course also implies and it was caused and results in violence, caused by and results in violence. But through all that, what he has is love. So he's stripped of everything but love. And that's what I wanted to do, sort of test the limits of it. Under what conditions can love be sustained? It's I mean, fiction is always propositional. Um, I have not had those experiences. So I'm not saying this is how it is. But I'm saying is that it's what if it is like this and I, I mean, Cormac McCarthy died and I greatly admired him, particularly Blood Meridian, right, which is the bloodiest book ever novel as a masterpiece. But it's absolutely and totally devoid of love, apocalyptically, biblically, absolutely. Everyone's just evil, and what is implied there—it's sort of deeply Puritan in, in sense—is that the world is an evil place. There is no possibility for alternative. This is it. And I mean, he—it's it, a—it's an apocalyptic, impressive, brilliant vision, and it's—you know—it is a self-contained novel, which I greatly admire but disagree with. And so, because I do think that people do love it all almost all conditions. I don't know how much love there was in Auschwitz, but that's the other limit of inhumanity.
1: Your book opens in the words of a first-person narrator as the story unfolds in the third person. The word I does not appear again until the narrator suddenly reappears two-thirds of the way through the book. I felt an immediate sense of dislocation, of panic, Who are you, unnamed narrator? Who is telling this story? I forgot you were in the room, and suddenly, like the startling emergence of a presence from the shadows, he's here. How did you come to that, and what did you want the reader to experience?
0: Uh, Well, there's occasional dipping into Pinto's consciousness where he, you know, some sentences in first person, but you were absolutely right about that. One thing is what I was talking about earlier or derivation thereof that is I have to acknowledge that I'm telling the story from a particular position right it's not absolute I don't have absolute knowledge it has to be imagined by someone and that someone is not should be identified as such that they are imagining this from a particular position from my personal point of view as it were because there is a stand-in for me obviously although I made up most of the stuff about that character is that it is important for me to be in the book and also for the reader to understand that I'm part of the continuity of that experience right that we we are in the same world right elsewhere later the whole Jerusalem chapter is that but it, it I I, uh, I I move through that world that is constructed in the book right and so one could imagine a, a book and I don't necessarily think it's I mean not this book but some other book where in a similar situation the narrator is outside of that world they just like Tolstoy, and you know, War and Peace. Let's say he's not in the battle. He's telling us, and he knows what Kutuzov thinks, and what you what his um, what's his name, all the other characters, Natalia and uh, Natasha and others think. But he's outside. He knows he's a godlike position, and he's going to tell us, and that's great. But I can't get above or beyond that experience, and so I had to
1: place myself in it somewhere your protagonist his lover uh, their collaborator and their foes are all male the mother of the daughter appears is somewhat featureless the daughter is a resilient survivor but also a mute passenger on Pinto's journey in some ways acting really uh, a small number of times and some have noted that your your book about your own family history seems to lionize your father and doesn't say as much about your mother. Are those fair observations? Are those conscious choices designed to a literary purpose, unconscious, or something else?
0: Well, regarding my parents, my father is a the the migrating one right he traveled a lot and came back with stories and has a lot of narrative proclivities my mother was the static one by way of patriarchy right she stayed at home while he traveled around the world the issues in their marriage aside but what i and this is in the book about my parents what i got from my mother is ethics and language because partly be conditioned by the fact that i spend more time with her than with my father right so she has enormous linguistic sensibility and is very inventive with language and i still know many words that she only she used use has used and or other kinds of locutions and so it kind of aligns with this difference in the narrative modes of you know static and dynamic or migrating and domestic if you wish and so In that sense, regarding the book about my parents, I think, well, the stories are more spectacular, but everything else is my mother, really. And so, and also, it's their dynamic. It is how it is. As for this book, I did think about it, and I I mean, it ends with Rahela, and Rahela is the source of the whole story, right? It's kind of, she arrives late, and so what, what you're pointing at is not unjustified in that respect. But it is also in sort of historic terms, they're soldiers and they're prisoners of war. Prison uh, prisoners of war, right? And so they move through space. And everything is from Pinto and Pinto's point of view primarily. And Pinto's obsessed with Osman, awesome, right? And so I, you know, wrote a book, The Lazarus Project, in which the main character in half of the book is a woman, the, the sister of Lazarus Autterbuch, right? She has agency, she confronts policemen, she You know, we follow her, follow her around. Having said all that, there is a space in my work that would for women
1: that I have not exploited. But then, you know, let's see what the future holds. You write of one character that he that, quote, he had a very hard time by virtue of his Americanness, refraining from the pursuit of his own happiness and pleasures. He was incapable of reflection a stranger to self-understanding and was always hurling into the future to which he felt fully and unimpeachably entitled. You come to America with a fresh perspective that only an outsider can bring. What is your view of Americanness?
0: Well, that is, I think that is about Henry Kranz and it applies to him, the character, and I think someone else describes him that way. It is having said that it's not uncommon among americans to be like that let me put it this way there's sort of this um what i like about america is this endless diversity complexity with all these people of different backgrounds and sort of the constant and i mean this in a productive sense um conflict right need to resolve things in various ways right that is not always pleasant but it creates enormous energy in 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 uh, in human experience in art if it was an inventiveness of various kinds after all i'm at princeton right and so which has has you know it's an amazing uh intellectual and space but also a history of racism and sexism inscribed in it and the thing with america is you cannot separate the two right despite of what the republicans across the country are trying to do it's part of the, the history so there's a mythology in America that is um has been enforced in various ways culturally, or even now in certain states, governmentally and before that, that is detrimental to human dignity, let's put it that way. But also there have always, always been people who resisted that in various ways. And and in you not used it, but it was a it was a way to stimulate intellectual and moral capabilities. And so the, the thing is. I don't necessarily think it's good. A place like Bosnia has the worst and the best. The middle is missing, right? Both in terms of middle class, but also sort of, and I don't mean just politically, a middle position. There are a lot of middle positions, but it's a country of you know war criminals and crooks and most dishonest people, and also the most brilliant people I know. And America is a hundred, more than a hundred times bigger than, than Bosnia, but it also in some ways applies, except there is a middle. Of some kind although it's vanishing fast i think and so there's some most reprehensible humans in the united states presently in the news for various reasons and then the most amazing people right intellectually and and, and otherwise right? i've lived in the united states most of my adult life right and so i have an american passport and i totally claim being american because i want to have agents in this space i want to vote and i want to be want to speak about things that pertain to me and my life and my children's life and my wife's life where she was born and raised in america and in general her families have been american are american have been for generations and so i had this it, they're not quite quite conflicting things i see it's not that i would praise my homeland simply because i'm at home i was in, if, i don't want to say that i was an outsider in bosnia Yugoslavia, but i was very critical about it from my early uh years as a teenager right and so i think it's part of intellectual engagement with any given space uh and moral engagement with any given uh cultural political social sociological space is being able to look at it critically and not to succumb to the mythology and not to be tempted by the feeling that somehow the greatness the alleged greatness of the country somehow infuses you automatically, simply because this is where you were born, this is where you, where you live, right? And so one has to question any country's greatness and thereby questioning their belonging, presumed belonging to their greatness.
1: And that means being critical. Alexander Hemman, I wish we had more time. Thank you for being on Alpha. Thank you, my pleasure talking to you.